Three friends. Three cities. One question. How can we turn this world around? You're on with Earth Friends. <laughs> Welcome to episode two, Renewable Energy, Cold Story Bro, featuring our esteemed guest, our go-to for clean and meme energy in Manila, founder of Vern Energy, Mr. Johnny Altamonte. Welcome. <laughs> That's amazing. That's the best intro. Clean and meme <laughs> energy. I just, yeah, yeah. We got, we got that. We got that. And that's excellent. I have to, sorry, that's our new tagline. So, like, I don't know what a previous one was if we had one, but that, that's got to be the new one. That was incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Super happy to be here and super uh, honored to be on as a guest. So, yeah, um, just a brief introduction. Johnny is the CEO and co founder of Vern Energy. He is also. Um, involved with, um, <laughs> sorry. I was getting my dog, sorry. Don't edit it out, keep it in, raw, unfiltered. Keep it in raw, I'm honest, un- unedited. So Johnny is the co-founder of Vern Energy with his background in environmental scientist and environmental consulting and management. So... He shifted his focus on the energy sector and founded Vern, the answer to various energy needs. And he also consults with the Senate of the Philippines and is involved in the development of new sustainable legislature. Hobbies include tending to plants in the garden and is also the founder of Greens and Memes. (laughs) Welcome, Johnny, to our podcast. I hope that introduction gives justice to all that you do. Yeah, thank you. Uh, super happy to be here. Uh, I especially love the plug to Greens and Memes, which among, uh, I'd say all my efforts is the one I'm the most proud of. <laughs> That's where oh. we got the clean and meme energy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm just going to stick into everything I do now. <laughs> well, we want to we open up all our podcasts by asking our guests this question. So, Johnny. What has impacted you this week? Ooh, uh, a lot of things, honestly. Um, I'd say the most recent impact. I'm not sure if any of you are like anime fans, but like I am. The, oh yeah, do you watch Attack on Titan by any oh chance? My gosh, I just watched it. I'm so excited for the episode on Sunday. Yeah, it's the finale, and it's just gonna be whack. So uh, I, I've literally just been in a state of just what the heck? How are they gonna freaking close out the the season? Anyway, that's been the most impactful thing this week. It's just kind of just waiting for that episode to roll out, I think, tomorrow or like early, early Monday morning. Yeah, I can't believe they're finally going to end this, end the entire thing. I don't understand how they're going to finish it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm sorry if you were expecting something like, you know, profound, impactful. No, no, you know, no. there's a lot of things going on, but, you know, it's just, no, not at all. It's I just anime about- for me. Yeah, it's yeah. legit. So, um... So in your previous podcast, I remember you mentioning that there is a difference between renewable and sustainable energy. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference between renewable and sustainable energy? I honestly didn't know there was. Neither did I. To, to debunk our previous episode, we also mentioned that nuclear energy is renewable energy. And I don't think that's considered um, a renewable energy. So if we could debunk that, that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay, let's start with. Uh, renewable versus sustainable energy. Mm-hmm. I, I think, like, of, of 
like and i'm not even going to get into detail on, on like just what is energy because i think that's also a really confusing question if you if you ask anyone what is energy people's like she's like fuck if i know right um, <laughs> but i mean there, there's there's energy in everything yeah. and really uh, when we when we talk about the the current state of of the world and of society we need energy to to do anything the, the reason we have society in the, in the form that it is today is because of energy um and we can typically classify that into two different buckets of energy yes yeah, so you have renewable energy and you have your traditional forms of energy your fossil fuel based energy so coal oil natural gas right so renewable energy is quite simply put uh energy that derives its source from a renewable in the, in the time scale of human life uh form of energy so the sun obviously it's not like the sun's coming it's gonna you know die anytime soon uh technically the winds and the tides uh these are all renewable they don't uh disappear they don't take long to replenish yeah um as opposed to of course your coal and oil which which take millennia right to produce and on top of that when we talk about renewable energy a lot of the times it's associated with environmental and health effects mm -hmm. so of course with fossil fuels uh they're literally the cause of, of climate change. And on top of that, they have a lot of adverse health effects. So communities near coal plants, for example, uh, are like infinitely more likely to die from lung-related or heart-related diseases. Uh, so renewable energy, really, if we're, if we're talking from a strictly definition perspective, it's just a renewable form of energy in this form of where the energy is coming from. Uh, how can we get it? Is it renewable? Nuclear is very contentious. Uh, because while on the one hand, technically, it is not uh, renewable in the sense that um, the, the, the elements uh, necessary to create a, a nuclear fission, which is what yeah. we get nuclear energy from, it's technically non-renewable. Uh, so mm -hmm. like uranium and all these other, other sorts of things, it's technically non-renewable. And then here's where we jump to sustainable energy, right? If you talk about sustainability as a whole, which if you go back to uh, the Brundtland report, which is uh, sustainable development and all that, all that stuff, which is basically you can't compromise the needs of the future, or you can't yeah. compromise, uh, you know, just sacrificing uh, the long-term health of the planet and of the future for short-term gain and profit, right? So simply put, yeah. if you talk about sustainable energy, it, it kind of expands that idea of renewable energy a little bit further. Um, so in the sense, nuclear, while it is technically non-renewable, it is a lot more energy dense, right? If you compare the amount of energy that you would need to provide, say, electricity to a thousand homes, uh, for coal, you would need several boatloads of coal. And for nuclear, you would need a piece of mineral that would cost that was this much in size, oh, wow. right? quite literally. So from a, from a certain perspective, it is sustainable. Uh, because it's we're not depleting the resources anytime soon. It can cleanly power mm -hmm. uh, several communities because it doesn't have any emissions, right? Such as coal. And the only potential downside to that, the two contentious effects are one, uh, nuclear waste, mm -hmm. which is, as far as we know, we can't really do anything but with it other than to bury it, right? And that sort of leads to the very, very long-term horizon of what do we do with nuclear waste in the future? But I mean as far as we know and if we continue on our certain on, on certain trajectories it's not the biggest issue at least for the next couple of centuries which i think gives us more than enough time to kind of figure out how to get rid of coal and all that stuff so for, from my perspective i think nuclear is uh, sustainable 
it, it is a form of sustainable energy. And then, and I never got around to the second point, which is like nuclear disaster. Weapons, um, but if you can, yeah. yeah, nuclear and weapons, of course, like national security and global security and all of that. Um, but I mean, if you compare also like the amount of deaths involved per source of energy, nuclear is the lowest among every other source compared to solar, compared to wind, compared to everything else, nuclear. I mean, if you compare about like how many people die, I mean, it's terrible. It's dramatic, right? Chernobyl, Fukushima, these terrible yeah. catastrophic events, but literally millions and millions upon people have died because of the effects of coal uh, mm -hmm. from literally falling off windmills and dams. It, Less than solar comparable. though, that's... that's. I'll have to double check, but I just, I have a fit, wait, you know what? Let me see if I can- Maybe in production, facts. right? Maybe in, in terms of yeah. producing the, the equipment for yeah. solar power. Yeah. But uh, sustainable energy also involves how you use energy, right? It's not just where it's coming from, but how you use it. So energy management, energy efficiency, how we're managing our demand of energy also factors into sustainable energy. So it kind of just really expands that world of uh, renewable energy a little bit further. So it's like, I hope that um, was clear. It, it actually was, it, it explained it pretty well. So if I got it correctly, sustainable energy is like the whole picture of all types of energy involved. So it calculates like the levelized cost of energy of like, say, mm -hmm. like solar or wind, like how much it accounts for like things such as land use and um, yeah. uh, mitigating like carbon dioxide, whereas renewable energy is anything that does not involve burning like yes uh, that's that's kind of a neater way of, of putting it. <laughs> it's a simpler like non-professional way of, of yeah. explaining it i guess yeah. although technically you can burn for example like biofuels and, and wood and those are considered renewable okay um, right so that's why you kind of have to balance it out like is renewable the best option sometimes definitely not right mm -hmm. that's where you kind of have to throw in that that whole aspect of sustainability, sustainability which kind of takes it a step further yeah so the economies and and the um, countries now are kind of realizing both the financial environmental and even strategic advantages of getting into renewable energy or being powered by renewable energy where do you think the philippines is right now and where do you think we're headed because i know you know this space is very government reliant or at least it has to be in partnership and on the same page with the government since there's so many bureaucratic yeah that's a that's a good question um so the philippines in terms of renewable energy at least in the region in southeast asia we were actually the first country in the region to have uh, a renewable energy law right oh. that was in 2008 so the renewable energy act of 2008 was the first of its kind in southeast asia oh. in terms of implementation we've been arguably one of the worst and then if, if you see like certain statistics lately it's like in the past three years solar has tripled wind has quadrupled yay sounds all well and good until you put it in the bigger picture and wind and solar combined uh, make up like 0.3 percent of the country's total primary energy supply yeah. so it's nothing right mm -hmm. and it's like absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things i think vietnam in like the past five years have like 50x our our solar capacity and this after when the law was first implemented, when the Renewable Energy Act was first implemented, um, Vietnam used to come to the Philippines pretty often and ask us for advice, like how do we implement similar laws? How do we uh, structure sort of this, this solar industry? And then they're, they're so much further ahead of us now, um, which isn't, you know, of course, the best thing because uh, we had, and I think this is typical across a lot of uh, different like environmental or sustainability regulations in the Philippines where we actually have good laws. We actually have a pretty robust system of legislature and policy to kind of back us up. 
Um, and then, of course, the devil is in the details and in implementation. And we've, uh, we haven't been implementing our projects very well. Uh, so currently, if you want to set up, for example, a, if you're an energy developer and you want to send, and you want to set up a, some sort of power plant, right? And your options are to choose between typically coal for some reason and say solar. Uh, to get a solar plant going, you would need upwards of 100 something signatures. And in the Philippines, each signature usually means a little bribe along the way, right? Yeah. Uh, compared to coal, you need like five. You need a lot less. I'm not sure if it's like five, like seven maybe, but it's a lot less. It's a lot simpler from a regulatory perspective, from an ease of doing business perspective instead of coal, no matter the cost, because the costs right now are ridiculous. Coal is a dead energy source. It should have died 20 years ago. If you build a coal plant now, you're basically setting yourself up for financial failure in the future. They're going to be, it's going to be a stranded asset eventually. And then not to mention, you're not even factoring environmental costs and and health costs of the people around you. Solar is literally the cheapest form of, of, of energy in the planet ever. Uh, so that happened last year, right? And that came from the global experts, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so the IEA. And, but I mean, just getting that done in the Philippines is, is just so difficult from a land use perspective, just getting the land to be classified, to be able to use it, from getting all these various signatories. And then like all the various technical difficulties to having to integrate that with the grid and with the grid operators. Yeah. Right, because people always say like, "Oh, solar! It's, you only have energy when the sun shines," and that's not as much of a problem as people make it out to be. Um, right now, actually. right, because they they discovered a lot of ways to store the solar power with the batteries. Like the the technology is a lot better than it was when it first started. I guess that's why it's considered cheaper now than before, right? Uh, not even. So actually, if you if you combine energy storage with solar, so energy storage is a whole different um, technology, right? So it's essentially mm-hmm. a giant battery. But I mean, even putting aside the, the, the need for storage, just being able to feed a lot of uh, solar power into the grid, it, it, it's really cheap. And we're at the point where our, the demand, the base level demand of the grid is so high that it doesn't matter how much solar you put into it, like at least for the next three years in the Philippines, you don't even need to worry about it fluctuating because the demand is always going to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, would you move to know. like... Go ahead. Were you able to see them, that Filipino engineer who won the first Dyson Award for Sustainability? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, that just, that views as overcast. So I was curious if like, if the solar panels now need so much sunlight to power them, how come something like that, where it's just overcast, or like maybe what the difference in the engineering behind that would be? Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually trying to get him to, I, I actually reached out cause I wanted him to like present like his case study for my class. Uh, cause it's, it's actually really cool. Right. I mean, but really the difference is, this. I mean, solar panels now are so, 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 so efficient, like, especially compared to like even last year, the year before they, they just increase in efficiency every year. And that's cause of utilities of scale, right? You have your big manufacturers, uh, in China and the U S and India that are, that are just really, um, utilizing, uh, you these economies of scale to make them more efficient and cheaper. Uh, now, the difference between, for example, that and uh, the, the Filipino who won that award is, of course, not just uh, utility to scale, but, but levels of efficiency, right? So, yes, it also does work when it's, when it's overcast, but it's nowhere near as efficient as a utility-grade solar panel. So, you can't, for example, use that sort of technology at wide scale or mm-hmm. at utility scale. It makes a big difference if you're talking about it for example in smaller use cases perhaps residential yeah. uh, perhaps eventually you can scale it up right uh, but I think it's a long long way away uh, mm-hmm. from being able to compete 
at the level that current utility grade solar panels are are producing. So, it, it, but I mean, it really is just a a wonderful breakthrough, though, and I, I hope it eventually finds a particular use case, whether that's in uh, building integrated solar or what have you. But I mean, th th there's still a lot of innovation left in this space too. That's for sure. So, do you think that clean energy is like the end all be all? Uh, I think we don't have a choice. So yes, um, it, like even if, for example, uh, everybody consider like continues on the trajectory we're going now, and that's including all like the the, the Paris the, the Paris uh, the agreements, all the commitments, we're still not on pace to kind of mm -hmm. solve uh, climate change. And climate change is derived specifically from 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 energy usage, right? From burning fossil fuels, and then so I. Like it, it, it's a, it's sort of a depressing question too. Because I mean, on top of that, you have all these other issues, right? You have, you have plastic pollution, which apparently is shrinking penises and, and reducing fertility. No way. Yeah. Did you see that study that came out recently? I haven't like verified it. I like, like ingested, like, like ingested plastic, right? Microplastics, because yeah. they're making their its way into basically everything we consume. Fertility rates across men and women, and like testy size rates have just dropped since oh. the 70s. So shit, like, and then according to that paper, the prediction was everyone would be infertile by 2040 or 2050, oh which God. is wild. Because I mean, that's an even shorter time horizon than we have to solve climate change. Yeah. So, yeah, fun. Now we have to deal with that too, right? But anyway, I, I think clean energy definitely uh, it it is one of the things we need to, we need to solve, and we need to rapidly deploy the next so, couple of years. That's interesting because this whole project was started with stem from our interest in renewable energy. I don't know a little bit more context, which we talked about in our last episode. We were kind of brought together by our shared love for David Attenborough's witness statement, Life on Our Planet. And obviously, through our initial research, we learned that renewable energy is such a, it's such a high barriers to entry industry. But being someone in the space, what are some alternative suggestions you can make for anyone who's trying to get involved who may not have as much exposure or engineering experience or even just any academic experience prior? Yeah, um, that's actually a really good question. And I, I kind of went down, like when I started the company, uh, I went down the same path, right? Um, I first, I have no engineering background. I'm a scientist. Uh, and I didn't even have an energy background too. I was an environmental scientist. I was literally doing marine ecology. Like my, my research was focused on like coastal ecosystems and climate change. So completely unrelated to energy or renewable energy. And I was, but like kind of along that path, what I wanted to do, but I kind of came to a realization that um, the, a, a lot of the, the future I envisioned like a sustainable future, a future that had like, you know, a clean green environment and all of that was reliant on the just and equitable deployment of renewable energy. So that's why I kind of made a switch. Cause that's like, that's really where like the biggest impact can be made, especially in the Philippines, right? Uh, so I don't think you necessarily need an energy or an engineering background uh, to get into the industry. I think there's a lot of information available online also that you can kind of tap into. And then the barrier to entry is the same thing we encountered because the, the first, uh, the first idea, the first notion of Vern was to just literally be a solar company. Uh -huh. uh, but one, you need billions of pesos. And two, you also need like billions of pesos. Actually, that's it. It's a lot of money uh, you, you need to compete in this space. And there, there's a surprising amount of solar players in the Philippines. There's actually a ton. It's a, it's a very saturated space. Oh. 
and then so that, for us that kind of we that kind of led us down the rabbit hole like we have all these solar players why aren't projects happening why why isn't residential solar utility scale solar just booming given the amount of players we have in the industry and that's kind of what led us down the rabbit hole of renewable energy to sustainable energy and the sort of the way we position ourselves now more as uh, consultants, right? We, we, we design sustainable energy solutions, whether that's energy efficiency or renewable energy, and we deploy and manage these, these projects. Um, cause that was a space that really wasn't filled. You have all these companies that are just trying to sell a product, right. And, and make a profit off of that. Um, but nobody really kind of piecing it together in the right way and the most just way in the most, in some cases, financially sensible way, at, at least for the client or for the community. Uh, so that's kind of how we, uh, position ourselves or, or like just uh, pivoted our way into the current iteration of what burn energy does and like helping with policy and all that in, in terms of like what what else is needed um community work is super super important uh for for getting uh, rural or off-grid solar projects online um in a lot of cases in the philippines um, a lot of large, like larger scale community-based projects with solar eventually failed um, because the community didn't have the capacity to manage that project, right? Oh. Uh, so when you eventually, say community work, that's literally like building the infrastructure and doing the grids. No, not even. So, uh, sorry, I, I guess to clarify, I'm talking mostly about off-grid off-grid projects here so where you deploy a bunch of solar you have some battery setups or or diesel generators tied into the system sort of like a microgrid and eventually the community runs it right it doesn't go anywhere else but to that community to those um, that have no access to the grid right like yes. far-flung areas okay, okay. yes no access or limited access even okay so would um, examples of this be kind of like the solar powered lamps um, that I, we've read a couple of social enterprises doing that work and or even just like biogases. Yeah. Um, so solar powered lamps, I, I'd say, are, are mostly like a like a smaller scale technology that get deployed to like individual households. So right. something like a microgrid would be building like a mini power plant um, that provides actual just electricity uh, to the entire community. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and ultimately, a lot of these communities, uh, I think we have around 10 million households in the Philippines that still don't have access to electricity. Oh, and they how. can't rise out of poverty or they can't develop sustainably without energy, right? It's literally the foundation upon which anything is built. You can't have like a fisherman mm. uh, sell his fish without somewhere to store it, for example, or a farmer mm-hmm. start, uh, selling his vegetables without a, some sort of refrigeration to store it. They just won't be able to develop uh, as a community. Yeah. So are most of energy. the then nonprofit or NGO based or even just gov- expected to be government based, which I don't have much hope in, or is it the lack of resources and funding that's stopping this from happening? I think there are uh, a fair number of, of nonprofits that are kind of working in this space. Um, there are a bunch that, for example, deploy solar lights, right, or solar lamps. There are a couple of that. Um, do some small-scale community work or work with a specific community to help them deploy these other solar technologies. But, I mean, at the scale at which it's needed, you need to kind of tie in all this nonprofit work, all this community development work, and you need to be able to tie that in with institutional finance and capacity with your large-scale technology suppliers, right? And there's always that bridge uh, that that's essentially missing. So, for example, say you have someone uh, coming in to deploy, they've they've managed to get financing or funding or a grant even to deploy like a microgrid in a particular area, and they go and deploy it. If it's a grant, uh, once the grant expires or typically whoever international expert leaves after five years, uh, give it another five years and the project's dead in the dust. 
right? Because they didn't really bother to, to develop the community to be able to manage it sustainably long-term, which is the goal of, of sustainable energy. So it's kind of weird that there's always that little bit of, of disconnect. Or for example, you have a nonprofit that goes into an area, there's are small teams are working with a small community, but they don't have access to finance. You know, they don't have access to uh, the technical capacity that would need for them to uh, deploy the perfect solution in the area. So for example, you know, an, an, a nonprofit that's been working with this particular indigenous community for a long while, they know exactly what their needs are. They know what the community wants in terms of energy, um, but they don't have access to finance to build out that infrastructure. Um, so the, 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 there, there's a large disconnect and it, it's been that way for a while. And so there's just, there's generally, I think a lot of um, space left from, from more of a social innovation perspective. Uh, that needs to be filled in the Philippines, especially to bring electrification or energy to to those that actually need it. Yeah, because yeah, I think solar or renewable energy in the Philippines is still considered like a startup project, right? So it's quite it's quite good that like Vern is giving um, energy solutions, um, not just in terms of introducing renewable energy, but even just energy and efficiency for for companies, for buildings, for developments, like some people think that renewable energy is instant high capex, instant um, like expensive, but actually sometimes yeah. being energy efficient is gonna cost you less, like mm-hmm. less kilowatt peso per kilowatt. You know, like you, you maximize how much energy you use in in a specific place. And just in relation to the previous thing that you mentioned, I was curious because you mentioned that. There are a lot of solar players now in the Philippines, and if it's not as evident, like who do they cater to? Um, so I'd say the majority of of solar players in the country either service residential, um, so these are actual households, but individually, just, yeah, individually. But I, I mean, of course, the in in the Philippines and with the with the finance financing options available in the Philippines, these usually mean those in the the upper strata of of income levels, right? So obviously, like low medium income households will never be able to really afford solar, even though technically it's a pretty good investment. It's better than it's a better investment than like any bank or anything you put your money into that and larger commercial entities. Um, so whether that's a, a warehouse or resort, really, where it really mm-hmm. makes sense to have a lot of solar. Yeah. Uh, these are the primary customers. We don't have a lot of uh, people doing utility scale. Uh, so that's actual solar panels or like solar farms that feed into the grid, right? We don't have a lot of that. It'll be cheaper though if it goes straight to the grid, right? Rather than individual households or like developments. Yeah, mostly because of uh, of scale, right? Yeah. So if you deploy a ton of solar at scale, it becomes a lot cheaper to do all that installation in one go. Because I mean, when you go into individual households, um, you're paying for the installation costs and the design costs per household. and you know that that tends to add up so it is cheaper to kind of just deploy it at a large scale actually renewable energy is actually an interesting topic for me because last year this time last year i took a short course online called energy and environmental constraints um it was conducted by professor david keith of the harvard um, physics department or something and it was really interesting because it made me um actually like question the possibility that the whole world would be powered by renewable energy. So when you mentioned that clean energy is the solution, um, I wonder how it could supply the power of the whole world when, for example, like solar um, energy requires quite a sizable portion of land. And if 
um, the whole world is powered by renewable energy, such as wind and solar, would we still have enough land to use for agriculture or even just our urban our urban setups? That, that's a really, really good question, right? And uh, I mean, that also ties into that, that whole idea of sustainable energy, where which technology is right for which particular situation. Like in the Philippines, we have a lot of agricultural land, but we need it for agriculture, of course. And it's, it's hard to be able to just take away that land uh, and the livelihoods of several farmers and just convert it into a solar farm, right? That kind mm-hmm. of just destroys that whole idea of sustainability where yeah, there's also a social aspect of that. There are some uh, new methods of kind of going around that, like agrivoltaics is a sort of a new area that people are, that's starting to crop up where you have uh, your shade-loving shade plants or crops that are kind of growing alongside the solar panels. Uh, but even then, that doesn't really super address that issue of, of, of land use, right? For example, Singapore. Uh, developed country, tiny, tiny land space. They literally have no space for solar or wind. Um, and, and that's a big issue because now their climate goals are basically garbage. They have no direct yeah. pathway to decarbonization. Um, there are some alternatives and that kind of involves like bilateral relations with other countries that do have land space or they do have access to energy. Mm-hmm. There's a project in uh, Australia now that they're building out this massive solar farm uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere where there's snow on and they're actually going to export that energy to Singapore, right? That's a cur- there are workarounds that are sort of like that, where you're kind of, it, it's not the most efficient way. It's still going to be expensive energy because I mean you're you're literally exporting a thousands of miles away, but it is a more renewable form of energy than currently what Singapore relies on, which is primarily, you know, coal or fossil fuels. Again, it all it always really depends. Like in the Philippines, for example, we have a. A lot of potential for solar, but it competes with land use, which is not great. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of wind potential, and we're, we haven't really touched on that. There's offshore wind, there's floating solar, there's geothermal. We actually have a ton of geothermal, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's like a really, really good renewable resource for the Philippines because a lot of coal assets can be transferred over to geothermal. So it's a good way to transition uh, out of coal, right? To repurpose um, the old factories. Yeah, so different assets, the manpower needed to run coal, you can transition that over to geothermal. Um, And that gives some incentive to coal users so they're not like completely stranded assets. They Mm -hmm. manage to make a transition over to a renewable form of energy, which is geothermal, and which the Philippines happens to have a lot of potential for, and that we haven't really touched for like 20 years, which is kind of of wild. That's another neglected aspect of, of renewable energy people just think just build out as much solar yeah build out as much build, build. it ain't it ain't build 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 it's got it's, build <laughs> think and check if it works yeah. which is exactly. the the purpose of Vern. like i'm, I'm glad that yeah. there's an energy solutions um, company and i think it's pretty cutting edge i'm gonna say like if i'm so curious to hear about the different clients you're working with with Vern, because one of the things when i was reading about the work that you do was is the philippines ready or is there enough market base and clients for this type of service? Like, are people actually willing to do what's necessary? Because I feel like it's a generational gap sometimes too. That when, oh, like, yeah. when I'm in a, having a dinner table conversation, you know, there's a subsection of people who understand certain things and who are so on board with it. But then there's a huge disconnect too of what the difference is between even like CSR, greenwashing, philanthropy is and it's still that generation that's running 
all of these companies. Yeah, which is which makes things kind of difficult, right? I mean, I mean, for us, uh, the way we kind of position ourselves lately and some of the projects we've been working on lately, actually a lot of are mostly focused on like energy efficiency right now, just because we have a new law that came out uh, last year. So now there's actual mandates towards implementing energy efficiency and energy management, which is kind of wild because like everywhere else in the world, that law came about like 20 years ago. So in that regard, we're, we're super late. I mean, we've, we've gone to a couple of places. We've done some side assessments where we're just like, honestly, if you, if you do these like operational measures or change these operational things that literally cost you no money, it'll save you 2% of your energy bill uh, in the year. And they're like, okay, great, 2%. And then we do numbers for them. Yeah, you know, it's just like 11.5 million pesos a year that you're throwing out the window for no reason. Um, so translating also that into like a financial aspect, it's it's actually just not even the environmental choice. It's straight up the most economic or financial. Economic, yeah. Yeah, right. And so, so that when we talk to like older people that really don't give a shit about the environment so often, uh, we, we see that environment or people it's just like whatever fuck it right but then you translate into money and you're throwing out 11.5 million pesos out the window every year then they start to see like okay you know maybe i should do this thing <laughs> yeah yeah because because the money has to work also for um these systems to to scale and become actually sustainable like the, yeah the, the economic factor that has to be yeah. like right like considered. the triple bottom line people planet profit exactly exactly yeah. i mean it is part of sustainability it needs to make financial sense as well and it does so i mean that's kind of how we position ourselves we, we do see a lot of people that and a lot of companies too a lot of developers that are starting to kind of come around to that that concept that in, in 10 years if we don't fix this problem their their entire company just straight up won't exist for example with with one of the things i'm doing now outside of Vern is uh, i'm working with wwf and we're doing actually just a corporate sustainability-focused uh, project, right, or program. And and that's just another term that I sort of kind of hate or used to, at least, corporate sustainability. Me too. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Same. It's often such bullshit, right? But what I'm trying to do with WWF and, and the reason they pulled me in was to kind of want to turn that on its head. Because, I mean, as, as, as much as we, we, we hate corporate sustainability, um, corporate uh, efforts are necessary. Uh, yeah, to probably one of the biggest sustainability. ways. Yeah, exactly. But probably one mover. of the biggest ways to reduce consumption. Yeah, exactly. A big mover and one of the biggest ways to increase impact. Because I'm the one who's leading our initiatives for our company, and it's very overwhelming to know where to start, especially if we're a tech company. So there's such a hard balance to strike between greenwashing, and mm-hmm. and some customers, potential customers, have asked us for a CSR report and I was just like okay well you know there's this temptation to be able to just say we offset our carbon by doing this even though I know saying that is such BS but that's kind of what they want to hear so yeah yeah definitely that's another that's a whole nother headache bringing about real sustainability not just you know I'm sustainable because I did this 10 point checklist and now we're going to continue polluting the world's oceans and rivers it's not actual sustainability and I think that's a big issue too. So our last question for you is, how can we turn this world around? How do you think we can turn this world around? Oh, that's such a big question. Heavy um, loaded here. It's a heavy loaded question. Over I know, here. <laughs> I know. Um, well, I mean, me personally, I, I, I don't think there's anything more important than doing everything we can to, to kind of turn this around. And it, doesn't, it really doesn't matter what, literally what industry or what job you, or what job you're in, right? Uh, 
this is this is literally for for everything including you and your job i mean i'm, I'm not telling everybody to go out and be an entrepreneur because it sucks most of the time like you're literally just <laughs> really poor and and stressed and anxious like all the time and it's really not for everyone so i'm not saying go out and build like a company and and try to solve the world's problems you can do things within the scope of of, of your work and your situation even if in like a really tough spot right there, there's always things you can do and could be something as simple as literally not using your aircon sometimes or turning off your lights like you, you can drop to that level right and if you calculate how much like carbon emissions that saves over years it, it actually amounts a lot and i i know boiling that down to like individual like consumerism just fix the way you as an individual run your life and the world will change that's literally not how it works right but i'm saying you can do that and it will make an effect and if you have the capacity and if you have the privilege uh to move beyond that then you then you should and you ought to and you can within your company right um like gabby like working on sustainable sustainability efforts within a tech company right that's really important and that's really impactful and that's really profound and that can really change the way things move right if you do that properly and whatever other company you might be in what city you're in what village you're in if you can try to mobilize any sustainability efforts that really goes a long way so there's a lot we can do there's just so many problems it's impossible to name them all but you can literally just throw a dart at a wall find something within your local context to solve and then go out and solve it i think everybody has to do that like literally everybody no matter where you are yeah and, and the, it, it's important not to discount your your efforts no matter how small they are because it accumulates mm -hmm. yeah. and actually yeah like turning your aircon off like makes a huge difference actually like not turning on the faucet when you're brushing your teeth and like on the times where you don't need the water like turning it off like makes a huge difference like those Bringing small your things own matter bags to the grocery because that that adds up and even though i've had this conversation with a couple of friends like they say like we, we reuse the bags which is great yeah 100 percent. but then it starts with reducing right so before yeah. you even need to take that home with you bring re bring something you already have yeah, I, I yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. It's really important not to discount like small individual efforts, and then yeah, and then after that, go and take a step further. You know, mm -hmm. move your village, your your town, your city, right to your mayor. It's actually it's actually not that hard. It's actually really easy to, to write to like your local officials and try to get something moving. Uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. And I don't people people realize that honestly. I didn't like. Either. Yeah, I you, you can you can write to people. Yeah, you'd be surprised, and I I think honestly the mayor should probably be surprised too. Like, oh shit, there's like a hundred <laughs> people in my city that want this done. That that makes a difference. Yeah, and you can actually yeah, get a lot of stuff done that way. They they want to get the people's the people's votes too. You know, like I mean, they want to get their you want you want to be on everyone's good side. Yeah. But yeah, okay, you guys heard it here. It's real. Like there are real solutions that everyone can do that can literally turn this world around. And we appreciate this conversation deeply and we are so glad that it's recorded for everyone to see. I know. I'm so, so excited to listen. Thank you so much, Johnny. Yeah, super thanks for having me.